0: in 1 Timothy are politically incorrect, uh, like God cares, he doesn't, uh, but uh, this is one of those incorrect, politically incorrect passages, uh, as you'll see when you turn to it. Uh, we're reading just two verses today, um, but this is God's word. It is uh, divinely authoritative. Um, it has everything that we need for life and godliness, so give it your reverent and careful Attention. 1 Timothy 6, verses 1 and 2. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. And let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers. And beloved, teach and preach these principles. Amen. Be seated. Pray with me again for God's blessing on the sermon. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, that you use means to accomplish your holy ends. We thank you that one of the foremost means, really... uh, uh, The Bible indicates that it is the foremost means of blessing to your people, and also the foremost means of converting the lost is the preaching of your word by a lawfully ordained man uh, whom you have called through your church to the office of uh, pastor and teacher. We do ask for your blessing upon this message. May uh, I say nothing, Lord, that Uh, is contradictory to what this text means or any other text that I cite. And indeed, we ask that it would faithfully expound its meaning and its application to our own lives here today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Children, do you all know what a slave is? You ever heard the word slave? Slave. Maybe you have. Maybe you do know what it means. Maybe you don't. I'm going to tell you what it means. It's kind of a... Um, well, it's, well, I'll just tell you what it means. A slave is someone, a person. It could be a man, woman, or a child even. But it is someone who is in some sense, and I'm going to explain that, but it's some, a person who is in some sense owned by another person. I'm going to explain that, okay? But a slave is somebody who is owned or has been owned by another person in the past. That's a slave. And I'm going to say more about that in a minute here. But basically, in this country, in the United States of America, people were allowed to have slaves, to own slaves, up until about 160 years ago. <coughs> so the first couple hundred years... That America was in existence, either as colonies or as the states. Slavery, the, the system whereby slaves could be owned, people could own other people, uh, that system, uh, was around early in our, our country's history. Slavery was allowed until the 1860s, uh, by law. And while this kind of slavery that existed in the United States, it's sometimes called chattel slavery, but this kind of slavery, while this kind of slavery is no longer allowed in this country, in the United States of America, it hasn't been for a long, long time, as I say, there are several places in the world where chattel slavery is still allowed, and legal even. Well, in this passage, we are going to look at God's instructions to Christian slaves. Uh, for slaves in the past or in the present, in other countries um, of the world today, where slaves are Christians or have been in the past Christians, God has given instruction here in his word as to how Christian slaves should act and the attitudes that they should have, as I indicated uh, a few moments ago, this is a very politically incorrect passage, and I'm not going to try to explain this away, as I'm sure some ministers have tried to do. Uh, this is God's word. God said this. He made sure this passage <clears throat> was in this in this uh, in the New Testament, and uh, it's not in the Old Testament. Some people like to dismiss slavery that way and say, well, that was an Old Testament phenomenon and passed away. Uh, it wasn't something that uh, was allowed. We're going to talk about that. But before we do uh, get into the two points that are represented by these two verses, uh, the two points of the sermon, I want to uh, talk about what the, how the Bible handles this practice or the institution of slavery. And I'm talking about both the Old and the New Testaments now together. We're going to look at several verses here before we get into the two points of the sermon. First of all, let me tell you this about what the Bible says. Nowhere within its pages is the practice of slavery commended or praised. Nowhere is the practice of human slavery where one human uh, owns, in quotes, another person, uh, specifically their labor. Nowhere is the practice commended or praised in the Bible. But, at the same time, nowhere within the pages of Scripture is slavery prohibited or forbidden either. You can't find a Scripture that does that in either the Old or the New Testament. Probably, I would say, the best word to describe the Bible's, and therefore God's, because this is God's Word, is an errant word. The best way to describe God's attitude toward the institution of slavery is that of toleration. That slavery was indeed uh, tolerated in uh, biblical times is clear from passages such as Leviticus 25. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, I would encourage you to turn there. Leviticus 25, you should always have your Bibles with you. Hopefully, regular folks know that. Leviticus 25, starting in verse 39, reading through verse 46, listen to what this passage says. This is in the law of Moses, the book of Leviticus. Again, chapter 25, starting in verse 29 or 39 rather. <clears throat> and if a country, and if a countryman of yours, and he's talking to Jews, so he's talking about uh, an Israelite, And if a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, you shall not subject him to a slave's service. And that's going to be explained here in a moment, meaning that slavery of of somebody who's not your countryman. You shall not subject him to a slave's service, even though he sold himself to you. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. He shall then go about, go out from you, and he and his sons with you, and shall go back to his family, that he may return to the property of his forefathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out from the land of Egypt, referring to Israelites. They are not to be sold in a slave sale. You shall not rule over him with severity, meaning your slave. Uh, the, the person that you uh, has been sold to you by himself you shall not rule over him with severity but are to revere your God as for your male and female slaves whom you may have you may acquire male and female slaves from the pagan nations that are around you then too it is out of the sons of Then too it is out of the sons of the sojourners who live as aliens among you that you may gain acquisition, and out of their families who are with you, whom they have, excuse me, whom they will have produced in your land. They also may become your possession. You may even bequeath them to your sons after you to receive as a possession. You can use them as permanent slaves. But in respect to your countrymen, Israelites, the sons of Israel, you shall not rule with severity over them. And the text goes on. Toleration was clearly allowed, tolerated, in the Old Testament age. Uh, You may acquire, it says. You may have people as your possession. And again, I'll explain that in a bit. So, toleration is one word to use of the scriptures of the Bible's position on the subject of slavery. Also, regulation is another word. Whenever and wherever and whenever believers found themselves providentially involved on either side of this practice of slavery, either finding themselves uh, to be slaves or to be a slaveholder, God intended and indeed demanded that he regulate their attitude and their behavior um, in their uh, position as either a slave or a slave holder, and um, this is evident from such passages as the one before us that we're going to look at here, as well as Ephesians six verses five through nine. Notice New Testament passage and Colossians three twenty two through four one. We'll uh, take the Colossians passage just to illustrate. So let's turn with me to Colossians three. <clears throat> Paul says in Colossians 3, starting in verse 22, the following Slaves, so he's addressing slaves, in all things, he's talking, by the way, he's talking to Christian slaves here, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, meaning as a slave to another human being. It is the Lord Christ who you are ultimately serving. And he says, For he who does wrong, this is probably a reference to a slave master now, slave holder, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 4, masters He doesn't say masters free your slaves immediately. He says masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven who's watching you in other words. Be careful how you treat your slaves. But he didn't say free him. And he could have. So, toleration and regulation of the practice is what we find in Scripture. Now, what all that means that I've just said on the subject of uh, regulation and toleration is that the practice of slavery is not inherently sinful or wrong. Now, that's terribly incorrect for me to say in this day and age, but it's true. It's not inherently sinful or wrong, though this view is almost universally held by our society at large and by the vast majority of American Christians, and probably Christians around the world, in fact. That it's inherently wrong. Sinful, uh, slavery is absolutely always, under any condition, it is sinful. It is evil. You can't get that from Scripture. Now, without a doubt, Without a doubt, slavery is an institution that has significant potential for grave abuse. No doubt about that. But folks, so too does today's employer-employee relationship. Today's, which comes, by the way, as we read uh, over in the Leviticus passage, which comes uh, as close as you can come um to the slave master relationship. So uh, the employer employee relationship is uh has uh, great potential for abuse. Um so too does other relationships like parent child relationship, uh husband wife relationship, um secular ruler subject relationship. There are, all those have uh significant potential for abuse as well amongst the parties involved. Wherever there are, I'm going to call them superior subordinate, rather than superior inferior, superior, wherever there are superior subordinate authority relationships between sinners, and guess what? We're all sinners. There is a significant potential for sinful attitudes and sinful interactions within those relationships. One last truth that I want to bring to attention, your attention regarding the Bible's overall uh, attitude toward slavery. And that, here it is. While a slave's master in any age, past or present, while a slave's master in some sense owns his slave's bodily labor or ability to work, While a slave's master, in some sense, owns that, he never owns a slave's soul. Ever. Now, that a master does, in fact, own his slave's body and the labor that it is able to produce is taught in uh, a couple of places, but the the clearest one, I think, is Nehemiah, chapter 9. So if you want to turn there. Starting in verse thirty-six, if I can find it. Nehemiah nine, verse thirty-six reads, uh, and the 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 part that's applicable to the point I'm making is in verse thirty-seven. But I'll start in verse thirty-six. Behold, this is Israel talking now through Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is praying, and he's including, uh, uh, but with a all of Israel is before him. Actually, I'm sorry, it's not Nehemiah who's praying this. Uh, it's uh, the Levites, uh, back in verse 5. So the Levites are praying this on behalf of all Israel before the Lord. And he says in verse 36, Behold, we are slaves today. And remember, this is after the captivity and uh, some of the uh, uh, Jews came back to the land, but they were still subjects of, of the Babylonians, right? Actually, the Persians at that point. Anyway, behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which thou didst give to our fathers to eat of its fruit and its bounty, behold, we are slaves on it. And then he says this in verse 37. And its abundant produce is for the kings, meaning of the nations, whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. And then listen to this. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great... Distress. They rule over our bodies. I would—that's what the Bible says. If you're a slave, your master rules over your body. In other words, over your body's potential to work is what it's uh, what it's a reference to there. So the fact is, there's in some sense a slave owner does own that. In some sense, he rules over the slaves, his slaves' body. Uh, However, God alone owns a man's soul. Um, and that is evidenced in uh, evident from among other passages, Ezekiel eighteen, verse four, where God is speaking and he says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. the soul who sins will die pretty clear souls belong to the lord bodies can temporarily belong in some sense the labors of the, our bodies to another but not the soul so this is all by way of background so keeping all these things that i've said in mind let's consider the two points that are taught in this particular passage here in first timothy we're going to spend the rest of our time here in first timothy so here are the points uh, as uh, point 1 is verse 1, point 2 is verse 2. First, we're going to look at how God requires the Christian slave of a non-Christian master to think and act. And it has application to us, even though we don't have slavery anymore in this country. It has application to you and me. Secondly, verse 2, we're going to look at how God requires the Christian slave of a Christian master to think and act. So first, Christian slave of a non-Christian master, verse 1, and secondly, the Christian slave of a Christian master, verse 2. So, Let's first look at verse 1. Let all who are under the yoke, and here he's talking about Christians now, let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and of our doctrine may not be spoken against. When Paul wrote this letter to Timothy back in the first century in the the ancient Near East, many slaves in Ephesus, which is where Timothy is pastoring, right? so he's addressing the situation first and foremost in Ephesus, and apparently there were quite a number of slaves in Ephesus who had become Christians and who were part of the church. Uh, And by the way, there is a good chance, it's very likely, that this phenomenon of uh, slaves becoming Christians was probably commonplace throughout much of the Roman Empire by this point in time in the first century when Paul is writing. Lots of Christians, lots of and you can see why, of course, right? Being a slave would not be easy for the vast majority of slaves, even if they had a good master, it's it's tough, you know, being ordered around all the time. Uh, and hope would be latched onto most quickly by people in that kind of uh uh situation. Slaves. And so lots of them had come to Christ, apparently, a good number anyway. And a good many of these now Christian slaves that Paul is addressing in this letter had non-Christian masters. And a fair number of these non-Christian slaveholders were quite difficult to serve. Probably most of them were quite difficult to serve as a, in the position of a slave. And it is to believing slaves of such, we'll call them oppressive or tyrannical uh, slave holders, that Paul is particularly addressing here in verse 1. He is uh, speaking to slaves uh, of non-Christians, and I won't give you all the detail why I think that's the case. Uh, it's... Uh, uh, I just don't need to get into that detail here but just trust me if you will that uh, that that's uh, fairly evident from uh, the context but notice what he says in verse 1 he's not talking there to uh, I'll read the new American standard he doesn't he doesn't say uh, to all who are slaves <clears throat> in the new American standard what he says is uh, or and he doesn't neither does he say to all who are under the yoke of slavery, as if the institution of slavery itself is the yoke of which Paul is speaking. It doesn't say that. That would be re- redundant to call slavery a yoke of slavery, a burden of a burden. Um, it's not, that's not, and that's not the way the Greek goes, by the way. No, what Paul is doing here in verse 1 is he is speaking to all who are under the yoke as slaves, or as the King, New King James renders the Greek, to as many bond slaves as are under or bond servants as are under the yoke. so there are, there's the, the the larger category of bond servants or slaves, and there are some of them that are under the yoke. you got that? And to be under the yoke, so he's writing to not all slaves, but the slaves who are under the yoke. What did the yoke represent? Well, yoke were used on what? Oxen, beasts of burden that plowed fields so that grain could be planted and crops could be planted. And he is saying here, he is, he is writing to slaves in particular who were regarded by their masters as little more than oxen. Under a yoke. In other words, these were men, these non Christian slaveholders, were masters who regarded their slaves as mere property. Not as people made in the image of God, but as mere property, as something that they owned, and they would have thought, I own all of you, including your soul, which they didn't, but uh, they would have undoubtedly thought so, believed so. Um, just like I own my oxen in the barn, I own you, was the attitude of these slave, non-Christian slave masters. So it is to Christian slaves of such cold-hearted, oppressive masters that Paul is now speaking here in verse 1. And he says, Christians such as these slaves, uh, uh, Christian slaves, he says, you are to regard your... Evil masters, your difficult, hard-hearted, pagan owners or slave masters, you're to regard them in a certain way. And this is how you're to regard them, gentlemen and ladies and children who are slaves and Christians. You are to consider them worthy of all honor. Say what? Say it again. Worthy of all honor? That's what you said, Paul? Yes, that's what I said. And remember, the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul. So it's not just Paul speaking. It's God speaking. By honor, Paul and the Holy Spirit mean respect and esteem and deference and reverence even. It's tough words to, to treat some, uh, some hard-hearted guy who uh, thinks of you as nothing more than a cow or a bull, treats you that way has no respect for you. I'm to treat him with respect. Yes, that's right. You're supposed to honor that man or that woman if there was a you know, slave holding woman. Paul and God through him is telling the Christian slaves of these kinds of uh, wicked men that God requires them to make a self conscious decision to consistently show those unbelieving tyrants of theirs that rule over them respect and esteem in spite of the terrible way that their master views them and treats them. You've still got to do it, is what Paul is saying. This is similar, by the way, to what God elsewhere requires of Christians with respect to their secular rulers who are tyrants. I won't bother to read it right now for the sake of time, but over, well, yes I will. Over, Yeah, I will. Uh, over in First Peter chapter two, uh, verses uh, thirteen through seventeen. Remember, we're changing. We're not talking about slaves and masters now. We're talking about Christian subjects and their and their uh, secular rulers. Uh, all of them. He says in verse thirteen of chapter two in First Peter: Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, not just the ones you like, but to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority. Or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, for such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, including uh, implied there, foolish men who are your rulers. Uh, says in verse uh, Acts uh, verse sixteen, act as free men, and do not use your freedom. You are free spiritually, gentlemen, ladies, children. He's is saying here, or Peter's saying. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Be slaves of God as you serve and and submit yourself to these unholy rulers of yours, as some of them may be, and, and as in fact in Paul's day it was Nero who was on the throne. And then he says in verse 17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The king there means emperor. Honor Nero. Y'all know how evil Nero was, right? He was debauched. Honor Nero, Peter's saying, and guys, or, or or good ones, you know, all the more good ones, but honor even the Neros of the world. So just as a tyrannical secular ruler is worthy of honor and respect from all of his Christian subjects by virtue of the position he holds as uh, an authority over them, even though he is not personally worthy of such honor and respect, that secular ruler, just just as like as you're to do that, so also a tyrannical slave master is worthy of honor and respect from all of his Christian slaves by virtue of the position he holds, even though he is not personally worthy of such honor and respect. Even though he's a bad guy to serve. An unpleasant person to be a slave of. So, how does this apply? Well, it does apply. You can probably imagine what I'm about to say. If you are under the authority of another person, and all of us are under someone's authority, and multiple authorities, most of us, are under the state, If you're a member of this church, you're under the church, Uh, the elders of the church. If you're a child, you're under the family, your parents. If you're a wife, you're under your husband. Uh, If you're an employee, you're under the employer. Um, If you're a student, you're under your teacher, etc., etc. If you are under the authority of another person and your authority figure uh, is not personally worthy of honor and respect from you, because on account of the way uh, he or she acts is their bad behavior? doesn't matter. You must show respect for that person anyway, because God has providentially placed him or her over you in terms of authority, and because they are an authority figure, because they hold that office, if you will, above you in terms of authority, God requires you to honor that person. As difficult though that may be, there are a lot of Christian women who have um, have a godless, uh, tyrannical husbands. Very difficult. I can't imagine, obviously. But God said the implication from this text, uh, extending its application, is that Christian ladies need to do their their very best. And Peter talks about that, of course, as well. That by they might win their husbands over by their Uh, chaste and uh, godly behavior in the face of their abusive husband. I say abusive, you know, uh, uh, godless and uh, uh, heartless husband. Um, If you're a student, there's some students in the room who have teachers that you don't like. Maybe your teacher's a bit of a jerk. Doesn't matter. God says... I want you to show honor to that person. I want you to show respect for that person. I want you to speak in ways that are uh, that uh, uh, do not slander that person in spite of the fact that they may deserve it personally. Are, is there an authority figure in your life whom you're not rendering proper respect to? You need to if you are not under, uh, rendering proper respect to an authority figure in life, you are sinning against God and you must repent of that rebellion against him and ask him for the grace to render respect and honor, esteem to those whom he says you need to respect, honor, and esteem, even when it's difficult. Well, the Christian slave's motivation for showing respect to his undeserving master, who is an unbeliever. What is it? He says there in the end of verse 1, so that, let me read it, he says, uh, so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. Meaning by this this uh, unruly master of yours, or uh, ungodly master of yours. That it might not be spoken against. So the triune God and the Christian faith The gospel might not be spoken evil of by that master that you serve. And that will almost certainly occur if you do not obey this commandment, you Christian slave, this will almost certainly occur. Your master is going to badmouth Christianity and badmouth the God who deserves honor because of your less than respectful dealings with him and perhaps your laziness as well. You're, you're cutting corners and not being a diligent worker for him in service to him or her, if it's a her. They're going to speak ill of your Savior and your God because of your behavior. And folks, that's true of us. Not just in the realm of this realm, obviously none of us are slaves here, but... When we interact with other believers, uh, unbelievers in the world, and we act in ways that, are, that uh, give them cause to go, look at the way she's acting. Look at the way that kid is talking back to his parents. He goes to church. Look at the way that wife uh, uh, gossips about and talks bad about her husband. She's a Sunday school teacher. I know that. She told me once. And they will slander God. And they will slander Christ. And they will slander our religion. Which is the only true, the only truth. And they will dismiss Christianity. You know, as well as I do, this has happened countless times down through the ages. People are... Unbelievers are looking for an excuse to dismiss Christianity. And our sinful behavior is it. When we don't obey God, when we know better. Regardless of what authority relationship you're in. You should have a strong desire not to have this happen. If you love Christ, you don't want to see that happen because of your life. You should be motivated uh, to interact with unbelievers in a way that is God-glorifying, God-honoring, that is obedient to the Lord, so that that unbeliever won't uh, have an excuse to blaspheme God or the Christian faith. Briefly, the second point is is definitely uh, shorter. So we just looked at how God requires the Christian slave of a non-Christian master to act and think now, in verse 2, we look at um, how, a how God requires a Christian slave of a Christian master or slaveholder to act and think. <clears throat> some Christian slaves in Paul's day were privileged, <clears throat> and it was a privilege, undoubtedly, to have Christians as their master. But just as some Christian slaves were tempted not to show their unbelieving master's respect, other Christian slaves were tempted not to show their believing masters proper respect as well verse 2 and let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because of their because they are brethren but let them serve them all the more because those who partake meaning the christian master of the benefit are believers and beloved why were some christian slaves tempted to show disrespect for their Christian masters, brothers in Christ, or maybe even sisters in Christ? Why were they tempted to show disrespect? Well, um, precisely because, the text tells us, their masters, like themselves, were Christians. Apparently, there were Christian slaves that said, well, he's a Christian. And by the way, the clause, because they were brothers there in verse 2, uh, uh, let let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren. That clause, because they are brethren, is not the reason for the command to despise the masters, but rather it's the reason these Christian slaves might have for despising the masters. I don't know if you caught that, but the point is they they were they were tempted to disrespect them precisely because they were. Christians like themselves. That was the reason why they were tempted to disrespect them. Perhaps we don't know this, but I think it's probably fairly a good, it's good speculation, as I like to say. Perhaps some Christian slaves didn't believe that they owed the kind of honor and respect that is normally owed to one's authority figure in one's life, if that authority figure happened to be a fellow believer. Well, I, he's a believer. I don't. I don't have to you know, fawn, or whatever, that's not not the right word. I don't have to show undue respect for him. He's a brother in Christ. That's apparently, I suspect, how the reasoning went. Paul and God's response to believing slaves who thought this way was, you're dead wrong. You may not show disrespect to an authority figure who is a Christian just because he's a Christian. God's response to believers who think this way today is the same. You're dead wrong. You do owe any superior in a superior subordinate relationship of which you are a part, you owe them proper respect and esteem. Whether that superior of yours is an unbeliever or a believer. If he's a believer, he's more apt to forgive you. Yeah, that's true. Or she's more apt to forgive you. Yeah, that's true. That doesn't mean you abuse their requirement from God to forgive you. I I can talk back to my employer. He goes to my church. No. No. In fact, Paul tells these Christian slaves... And by extension, any Christian who's under authority, that they ought to serve their masters, he says, all the more. In other words, they ought to, these slaves who are Christians, ought to perform their duties as a slave even better than they otherwise would because, precisely because, uh, for of the reason that you thought you didn't have to respect them precisely because they're Christians, you ought to respect them, uh, or uh, serve them, Respect, and part of the way of you respected somebody was by serving them uh, with diligence. All the more. They were using it as an excuse to show disrespect. Paul is saying, and the Holy Spirit through him, uh, it's precisely because this person is a Christian that you ought to be even more motivated to show respect and, and, and deference and, and uh, to serve with uh, diligence this person. In your capacity as a bond servant. What's the application? Again, quite obvious, isn't it? We too ought to be all the more zealous about serving or pleasing anyone whose authority we are under if and when that person is a Christian. We should even do we should do it whether they're a Christian or not, but if they're a Christian, you should be even more motivated to be a good uh and a a, a respectful uh child of your parents, wife to your husband, employee to your employer, subject to your secular ruler, student to your teacher. You should be all the more eager to to fulfill your providentially given role in a subordinate position, fulfill those responsibilities that God has given you eagerly and joyfully, because this is a Christian, not a pagan that I'm serving, not an unbeliever, but a, a believer, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. Children, children, how eager are you to honor and obey your Christian parents? How eager are you to obey mom and dad? They're Christians. Hopefully you children love Jesus too and are trusting Jesus too. You should be all the more excited to obey your mom and dad because they're believers. Because they love Jesus. Like you. If that's the case. You teenagers who are students at school Or in college. How eager are you to show your Christian teacher or professor proper respect? Wives, how eager are you to be a good helpmate and an eager helper to your Christian husband? And the list goes on. Well, there is a very real sense in which all of us in this room, and in fact, all of us who are in the church at large, are slaves. Every last one of us are slaves. And Paul alluded to this over in Colossians chapter 2. We are slaves Of a master who is divine, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Himself, the Triune God. The Bible represents Christians, yes, as beloved children, but also the Bible represents God's people as servants/slash slaves of Him. If you're a Christian, you're a servant. You're a slave of Jesus. Are you a good slave? Are you not so good a slave? Does your service to your Lord require some improvement? And remember, we serve Him often by serving others. Being a slave as a Christian is it's a great privilege. It is your greatest privilege to serve your King and your Savior, if indeed He is that. And it should be your greatest delight as well. Is it? Do you chafe under God's authority in your life at times? Do you wish He would just not say the things that He said in here to you? Do you wish He wouldn't remind you of those Bible verses that apply to your situation when you don't want to obey them? which is to obey Him. There's room for improvement in our service to the Lord, all of us, isn't there? We could be better servants of our Master. Only God can give you the grace to do that. Give me the grace to do that. We need to seek Him for that grace. Let's do that this week and let's do that now. Join me in prayer. Lord, we do ask for the grace to serve you better than we have this past week, we rejoice, Lord, that you forgive us of our failings, um, that you don't that our relationship with you does not change because of our failings. But Lord, we want to be better at serving you than we have been. Would you please help us? Would you please give us a greater desire to serve you more fully? more completely, more consistently. Would you please help us to serve you in the ways that involve service to others? In those authority relationships that you've put us in where we are under authority, would you please help us to want to serve you by by showing proper respect, proper esteem and honor for those whom you have providentially placed over us? Even if that person personally doesn't really deserve that respect and esteem. Would you help us, give us the grace to render it anyway, joyfully and willingly, out of service to you. And would you please grow us in our Christ-likeness? If there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, as their master, doesn't hasn't turned from his sins Hasn't trusted in you, the, God, the 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 only Savior of uh, of sinners, the God Man, uh, to save him from his sins or her sins. Would you please give the new heart to an unbeliever, if there is one in this room today? Open his or her eyes to see what a wonderful Master you can be and are to those who submit to you. Would you please give grace to such an individual to trust you as Savior and Lord of his or her life? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us close our Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Amen.